0: hey how are you good how about you i'm so good thanks for joining me today thanks for having me yeah of course i'm just trying to get all everything like situated on my end so that we can get started um you look lovely oh thanks so do you oh you always do though (laughs) thank you i appreciate it same to you um cool so we're just gonna go ahead and jump right in sound good Sounds great. Awesome. Welcome back, everyone, to the Let Us Rest podcast, where we talk about the power of slowing down. I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Nikki Smith. Um, Before we have Nikki introduce herself, though, I want to give a quick shout out to Janelle Paciencia, who donated to support the podcast last week. If you would like to support the podcast, um, it's completely self-funded. So if you're interested in supporting, um, links to Venmo. PayPal, and Patreon are all in my Instagram bio. And if you're listening on the various platforms that we stream on now, you can find those in the show notes. That being said, I will pass the mic over to Nikki. Nikki, would you like to tell the folks about yourself?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Nikki Smith. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, I've spent most of my life in Utah, but I've traveled around a little bit. I'm a climber, photographer, writer, designer. I've written a lot of guidebooks, done first ascents, guided, taught, uh, worked in the outdoor industry. My whole life has been in climbing and the outdoors uh, since college and really love it. I'm an ambassador for Mountain Hardware, REI, Scarpa, Gravel, and quite a few other brands and spend a lot of time traveling now, well, not now because of COVID, but normally I travel a lot and try to um, try to teach and try to educate people
0: on LGBTQIA plus um, issues and trans issues. Awesome. Yeah, I totally hear you about the travel thing. I like bought my van, had a fix up at the end of last year, and then COVID hit. It's like, oh, cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. Not what anyone
1: would expect it.
0: I know, I know. But- you know, it's just, you know, it's waiting there for when the time to adventure is is here again. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It'll be back. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We're just letting the world rest right now, you know? The world is resting, yeah. we're all resting. Um I, I don't know about that, but <laughs> Yeah, maybe we're not all resting, but <laughs> that's true. That's a very good point. Um so, I, I think you've listened to a few of the other episodes, maybe, um, and heard that I always like to start off our conversation by asking, when is the last time you took a nap?
1: I honestly couldn't even say. Napping has been something that's always been difficult for me. Um, I would say I probably nap once every other month or longer. <laughs> like it doesn't happen often, unfortunately.
0: Hey, that's okay. That question is like a little bit of an homage to the nap ministry, which I always try and give a shout out to because they really influenced my um, kind of journey with rest. Um, So there's no pressure because napping is not the only way to rest, but I do just like to start things off that way. Um, But I hear you. It can be hard to find time to nap. Um, So that's fine. For me,
1: it's, I think, less about time as it is just some other, I guess, personal issues. Mm that I have with sleep.
0: So, mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. completely fine too. That's completely fine too. Do you find that you're able to like work in other forms of rest throughout the day if it's not napping?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've had to figure out, sleep has always been an issue for me. Uh, I'm typically up really late, sleep very little. Um, I've I don't know, I've had nightmares all my life mm. and for quite a while, about 15 years, I had night terrors where I'd wake up screaming and just, yeah, not in a good place. So sleep has always been a little difficult. And, yeah, I've had to come up with a lot of different workarounds in a way for that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorites, it's probably kind of weird, but, like, I'm really tall, so I don't fit in a bathtub. So, like, long resting um, baths aren't, aren't really good for me. Mm-hmm. But I'll take a long shower and I'll just turn on the water, sit down on the bottom, and that's my place where I can cry, I can scream, I can just let it all out and just sit there and relax for a little bit. And just there's something about that hot water coming down on me that it just just helps relax me in a way that nothing else really does.
0: Yeah, I I can definitely relate to that. That like just having things like wash away, it just like takes things down the drain away from you. And yeah, I find yeah, myself. The hot, the... Go ahead. Oh sorry. Ahead. <laughs> I was just saying, I find myself when I'm in like the ho- a hot shower, just like, I'll just like stand there with my hands out and just like let the water run over me because it is just so relaxing to just stand there and be warm and it's like I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's a really good way to to relax
1: yeah it's nice too because that that kind of hot damp air just allows you to breathe better while you're crying um it just washes the tears away it's i don't know it's kind of symbolic in a way i guess Mm -hmm. that i can let the tears out
0: and they're instantly washed away and i can come out refreshed and all that's gone it's washed it's literally washed off me yeah yeah, I, I find a lot of metaphor in water, whether that's, like, in nature or, like you said, in in the shower. Um, yeah, just, like, you can let it out and then you can let it go because it's being carried carried away. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, so you mentioned that you've struggled with sleep recently, and I think that's something that we'll touch on in a little bit. But I'm curious, before we get into that, what are some of your memories around rest when you were younger? Do you have any like distinct memories around rest?
1: Yeah, you sent me these questions um, recently and I had to think really hard about that. Um, you know, I've had the last three three years or so, I've had to think a lot about things in my past life and I've had a lot of realizations because of that. And yeah, that question was, was really difficult. Um, I don't know that I ever really have rested and I had to think about it a lot, but when I was younger, probably up till five or so, like I did a lot of stuff with my mom. I I helped her with cooking. I did a lot of art, sewing, quilting, knitting. And then a lot of my friends were, were girlfriends and, and I had guy friends as well. And I remember there was this point somewhere around five or six where all that ended and my parents aren't around anymore to ask them what happened. I kind of maybe have some ideas about that. But all of a sudden, I was put into baseball and soccer and basketball and wrestling and trombone and kind of forced into all these activities. And I was constantly busy from that point on. Uh, my My family was on our church's welfare system. And so all our Christmases, everything were given to us and kind of because of that, uh, we always worked. We always had side jobs. Mm. And so I, I mowed lawns, I baled hay, I worked on farms, I did whatever I could to, to earn money. So it was just always being busy. Mm. And then I kind of built on that. My, my father had leukemia. He died when I was 14. And he set some goals for me that he wanted to see me achieve before he passed away. And so I had all these... I don't know all the all those things he wanted me to achieve put on me that just kept me busy and I've been busy ever since. Yeah. And some of that was def well a lot of that was actually really negative in my life. Um, staying busy, I used I used that busyness as a way to avoid issues, and it became really unhealthy.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's definitely something that several people have brought up, like that rest is such a privilege, even in childhood, which is hard to think about children being in a position where they couldn't just do whatever they want to with their time, you know, within reason. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I'm sorry to hear that about your father. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I think that is a pretty common coping mechanism to keep busy. I know that when I'm avoiding something that I don't want to deal with internally, that is one of my go-tos to go find something else to do, start a new project, um, even just like play a game or something to keep my mind busy. Because if I stop and actually rest, that's when I start to confront those things that I've been avoiding. So I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Yeah, it's it's tricky. Like I think... There's there's the busyness to avoid things, but then, you know, for some people who have who have issues with self worth because of who they are, um, you know, whether whether it's race, whether it's being queer or trans, whatever it might be, there's this constant
2: need to try to prove yourself, mm. and it necessarily it isn't necessarily that I have felt like I had to prove
1: myself to everyone else, although like I felt that, but. I had to prove that I was worth something to myself because there was just so many so much messaging my entire life that because I was queer, I was trans, like I was not a good person. Mm. I was I was worthless, I was gonna go to hell, I was bad. And so yeah, I used I used those activities to try to make me feel better about myself too, but it was never enough. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just this constant, I had to keep going to avoid it and I had to keep going to prove somehow that I was worth something, but it didn't matter what I accomplished. I had to keep doing more because it never convinced me that I was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is one of the um, myths that we're trying to debunk or that I'm hoping to debunk with this podcast and with these conversations is that you can't, work to earn your worth. Your worth is inherent, Um, and so divorcing these ideas of work and worth is something that I'm really hoping people will gain from these conversations. So I'm, again, super appreciative to you bringing that perspective. Um, Have you done anything explicitly to try and unlearn those, those ideas that were impressed upon you that you needed to work to be worth, to be worthy?
1: Definitely, uh,
0: therapy Mm.
1: therapy has been huge for me and I I'm privileged enough that I can actually afford it. You know, it's, it's ridiculously expensive. And for someone who's trans, like it's medically required. I have to go to therapy. I have to have letters from multiple therapists in order to do anything to my body. Mm. So it was, it was, it was, it was necessary to unlearn it was necessary to stay alive and it was necessary to be myself uh, but it was huge you know there's so much stigma about therapy and there shouldn't be mm-hmm. people who go to therapy often are healthier and happier because of that and that shouldn't be something we should stigmatize it shouldn't be something that we should look down on someone for having gone to therapy, that's something we should encourage. Mm. And it needs to be more accessible as well. It's yeah. just and I don't know, even if it is accessible, the problem is is most of the therapists don't look like people who are different. And that needs to start changing as well. Like I know I've seen I'm not sure if it's some of your stories, um, but a lot of people like for a black person to find a therapist is almost impossible. I've never, I don't know of any other trans therapists. Mm-hmm. Like I was I was fortunate enough to find a queer therapist that really helped. Uh, but, you know, we need more people in therapy that look like us, that can relate to us or we can relate to. And you know, I've had issues with therapists where I went and just like this person does not get me and then you don't want to go back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: needs
0: to change as well yeah i think that that's definitely part of the the conversation around access because while you may be able to financially access therapy or like you know physically access therapy by having someone close to you just because there is a therapist there doesn't mean it's gonna be the right therapist for you um so i think it's a really important point that you hit on that just going to therapy isn't necessarily enough because it needs to be someone who not only can understand your story, but who you who you can feel understands your story, who you can feel comfortable enough opening up to. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's a really important point. And I'm so glad that you found a therapist that's working for you at least somewhat um, by sharing at least part of your identity.
1: Yeah, it's, it's made a huge difference in my life, so much so that I'm I'm starting school this fall to go into social work.
0: Yes, I'm so excited for you. I I remember when you told me that, that was really great news. Um, Is there a particular area within social work that you're hoping to work on?
1: Well, what I'm hoping to do, I mean, I definitely will probably have a private practice and do work with the trans and queer community. But what I'm ultimately really hoping to do is get more into the policy side. There are so many rules and laws that affect trans folks and what we can and can't do with our bodies what how we can or cannot even live in certain areas and they're all decided by cis straight white folks mm. and we need to have we need to have a say in our own lives we need to have a say in the rules that govern our bodies and i think Every trans person I've ever talked to, in one way or another, has had to educate their therapist. They've had to educate the medical doctors that they go see, and that shouldn't happen. If I'm paying $125 an hour, I should be getting my hours' worth of therapy, not spending sometimes up to half of that, at least at the beginning, explaining trans concepts. Yeah. Or how some of these things affect me and why this is an issue, why I'm worried about this or that, because my therapist or doctor doesn't fully understand. Yeah. Like, and that needs to change. So I'm hoping to work on policy and I'm hoping to hopefully create some sort of educational program so that therapists that go to school, whether they're psychologists, psychiatrists, or social workers, have actual courses on trans health and that doctors as they're going through
0: med school have that as well because it doesn't really exist right now. Mm. They're just figuring it
1: out on the fly when they have a trans patient come in.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree that that is super important. Um, I was just reading about a Black doctor, he may have even been a med student, um, who put together a book explaining the the ways that like, um, skin conditions present on darker skin. And it's uh, like, it's 2020. Why did that not exist before? Why weren't people learning that before? Like the fact that so many marginalized communities that our health is an afterthought is so dangerous and scary, be it our physical health, our mental health, whatever it is, that's absolutely something that needs to be addressed. And I'm so uh, just excited for you to get into that work. Um, And I'm so glad and hope that I can be supportive for you in however, um, whatever ways that you need.
1: Thanks. I'm excited. It's going to be different. I mean, I'm in my mid-40s going back to school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about how that's going to um, play into, like, your ability to rest at all or how you're going to navigate that while um, potentially still working? I'm not sure if you're planning to keep working.
1: Yeah, right now I'm doing the online versions, not just because of COVID, but just in general, I think it'll I'll be able to utilize my time a lot better. I can still be on the road and, and get my work done. Uh, it's definitely something I'm not sure about. Like this first semester, I'm just taking a couple pre prereqs, and so I just have two classes this fall. Mm-hmm. So that'll give me a little bit of an idea of what a heavier workload might look like for the next semester, and I'll kind of adjust from there. I don't. I don't fully know what it's going to look like, you know, but I'm. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to, to make it all work.
0: Yeah, I can tell you're very determined, which is awesome. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, I'm. Yeah, if I have to give up some of the work, uh, this is more important to me right now, so I'll focus on on school if I need to and just kind of let, say no to more things. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I was actually wondering about that, like saying no to things. Do you find yourself saying no to projects when you are like, when it's between rest and work, do you find yourself able to say no? Or like, if not, what are the things that are holding you back?
1: Um, It depends right now with COVID. I, haven't had a real paycheck in almost four months and it's kind of hard to say no. Mm. Uh, I still end up doing it. And unfortunately a lot of the projects that are, are proposed to me are, Hey, this is important. We really need to be educated on this. Can you do this for us? Oh, but we can't pay you anything. Those are very easy to say no to. Yeah. Yeah. The pain ones often,
2: if if there is something i'm not saying no but they're coming so infrequently mm-hmm. that it hasn't really affected things mostly most of my day is
1: spent um, just making up kind of my own self projects and cooking for my wife so <laughs> it's yeah it's it's not really affecting my ability to rest um, i have plenty of time for that if
0: mm-hmm. i could sleep and be I have the time for it. Well, it sounds like you are valuing your time and that you're not giving it up for free at, yes. at that and in, in that sense. So you're you're turning things down, which is um I wanna say that's good to hear because yeah, it is so important that our work is paid. Um because it not only helps us out, but it also sets the standard for other people who are being asked to do similar work. Um, so I think it's an important thing to do like I said, not only for ourselves but for our communities to set a standard that our work is valuable, our time is valuable. Um, so yeah, even exactly. if you're even if you're not like explicitly saying no because you want to rest, like you're still valuing your time in that way. So I think that that's um, very good practice. Good job. <laughs> yeah, that was
1: that was something I learned early on in like being an artist in the outdoor world. You know, people are always starting up new magazines or a new company and they come to you with, "We'll, we'll trade you exposure for it. We can't pay right now, but as we grow, we'll use your work more and more and, and they'll pay you. That never worked out. I mm. learned that really quickly.
0: And then the ones where it did, where they did grow, once you set that rate low, they're not going to change it. Mm-hmm. Like they, it, it's rare that they're going to grow with you. Yep. And so, yeah, it just
1: ended up hurting myself and hurting other photographers We're artists and it's a trap that I think a lot of creatives fall into and I think a lot of people want to do Jedi work end up falling into it because it is so important and these companies do need to start learning this and do need to start changing but we shouldn't be expected to do it for free because there's just no way we can keep up with the mental health demands that it takes to put ourselves out there like this, to educate people. And then even when you do educate them to come back later on and see, like they didn't learn anything. Like they didn't even listen
0: mm-hmm. after they made some mistake or something. And it's, it's hard. Yeah. So it
1: definitely needs to be a pain thing.
0: Yeah. I, I, a lot of what you're saying is really hitting home because like you, you mentioned The work is so important and it is important for people to hear and for people to learn. Um, But it also needs to be valued. Um, And I think if companies are willing to pay for it, then they're more willing to listen to it. Um, If it's going to actually cost them something, if we're mutually investing, so I'm investing my time and you're investing your capital, then I feel like it's a reciprocal agreement where my work is actually going to be taken for what it's worth. Versus if I just give you something for free, it's very easy for you to just like brush it off and let it go and not necessarily take it to heart.
1: Yeah. I think often when the the companies or people who do want it for free, it's just for that face value. Like, okay, we did this. Mm -hmm. But if they're willing to put a budget behind it, then they're willing to change other things within their structure. Hopefully, not always. But yeah, I think there is more willingness if you're putting a budget behind it to make real change and not just surface level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're both putting something on the line to to hopefully drive something forward. But yeah, there is always that concern that it's just going to be yeah, a box ticked and then that's it. Yeah. Um so when you're getting these requests for work um or even just requests in general for your time and attention whether it's work or social um I feel like there's a lot of pressure on people now because everybody's so tuned in and now that a lot of us are working from home. There's like, Oh, well, what else are you doing? Like, why aren't you answering me right away? I feel like there's this urgency that's attached um, to requests for our time and attention. So I'm wondering if you ever feel that pressure and how you navigate it when you do.
1: Definitely. And that started even before
0: COVID Mm -hmm. just as a freelancer period, you know, I have clients
1: that are in Europe and, you know, they're on a completely different time schedule that if they message or call in the evening, then it's kind of hard to say no. And so you get into this habit of, well, I don't know when my next paycheck's coming in, so if they do email or text at a certain time, then I'm going to deal with it. Uh, so one of my ways of working on that is I love cooking. It's one of my favorite things to do now, and I love to do elaborate meals, and so I spend a lot of time with that, so I just – put the, put music on, kind of set my phone aside, and while I'm cooking, there's no interruptions. And then my wife hanging out and us just chatting. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's our time. And then while we're eating, is the same thing. Like, there's no phone mm-hmm. uh, for that. And then a lot of it is trying to get out into the mountains as much as possible where there isn't a cell signal and just be gone. Yeah. not have to worry about it.
0: Do you struggle to, like, not check, because I am working to be better about not responding right away to people, but I definitely struggle with just not even checking. And then if I check, it's in the back of my mind, so it's still taking up my energy and my attention, even if I don't sit down and take the time to respond right away. So do you find yourself dealing with that, or is it easy for you to just ignore it?
1: No, I do check. It's <laughs> it's really bad, but it's also... It- a lot of the way that I write and whether it's whether it's what I put on Instagram or even something like a panel, I I look at the questions or whatever the request is and then I spend a lot of time thinking about it. And I, I typically don't fire off an email right away, like even if it is during office hours or whatever it might be, I will often take a day or more and just think about it and just constantly process it, which that, that can not be a great thing as well, because like I'm just okay, yeah, I didn't answer the email, I looked at it and then that's what I'm doing all night long is thinking about well how do I respond to this in a way that I can ask for what I need and say you all need to be doing this and but not do it in a way that completely ruins the relationship you know like i'm just trying to formulate that plan constantly and then i write and rewrite everything in my head before i commit things to to paper or you know the screen Mm -hmm. and yeah sometimes i i'll even go on on my phone and use the voice recorder and i'll just i'll talk it out and then play that back and then that becomes the basis of the start of whatever I'm writing, and then just keep rewriting. Mm-hmm. And so those revisions just take all this time that I probably shouldn't be. But it's also kind of how I work too. I don't, I don't know how to separate it right now.
0: Yeah, I was actually when I was um, thinking of questions for you, um, I was thinking about like you seem like such a considered person, like in the way that you respond. It seems very like thoughtful and like you've taken your time to really think about what you want to say, which is something that I admire about you because I am very much like say whatever I think when I think it. Um, so I think that it's a good quality. I mean, now that you're telling me that it eats up a lot of your brain space, maybe it's not. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's something that I look up to about you for sure.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's that. It's both. I mean, 'cause I I look at you and like Brittany as well, and it's like, wow, y'all put out so much great content. Like, I don't, I can't. Why can't I put out stuff like that? You know, like why can't I just knock this stuff out day after day? But yeah, a lot of my posts they'll take they'll take a week to two weeks. I mean, it's twenty two hundred characters, but I go over it and over it and over it because I know I have such a limited amount of space to get something, a point across that's very complex that, that often in trans issues, most people don't aren't even aware of or know anything about whatsoever. And so I have to kind of explain what's going on, talk about how it affects me or others, and then hopefully have something that they can do in there. And I don't know, I feel so much pressure to make sure that They get it right away, That I spend a long time on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably too much sometimes. And which is why, like, I I have these periods, like, going back three years now on social media. I don't really like social media. Um, But I have this pattern over and over where I post kind of regularly for a month or two. And then I disappear for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I come back and post a little bit and then I disappear. And yeah, I just thinking about, I don't know, I think too much about like, how is someone going to react to this? Am I going to hurt people that I'm trying to help by saying this? I'm like, you know, there's, there's no, there's no one trans experience and mine is super privileged. And so I, I have to be really careful with what I say and how I say it. mm
0: mm-hmm. you know?
1: its just yeah takes a lot of energy
0: yeah um i definitely hear you on like the explanatory preface i think there's an episode of i think it's code switch the podcast where they talk about the explanatory comma where like if you're with your in-group your community and you use a word or a phrase that's familiar to everyone but if you and they'll all understand it but if you're with like a majority group or a different group of people, you have to always provide that explanation after you use it. And I feel like I personally have tried to explore more long form um, ways of getting points across, whether it's like the podcast like this, where we have a whole hour to dig into things, or when I do like an Instagram story lesson, because then I can make it not as long as I want to because I'll lose people's attention, but longer than I normally would in um just an Instagram post. So I definitely hear the limitations there and like having to think and be really considerate about what you're saying and how you say it. Um, especially coming from like a place of privilege because I am a black woman, but I have you know, light skin. I come from a middle class background. like I do carry a lot of privilege and my black experience isn't the same as another black woman's experience. So, yeah, I think I think it is important to take time and think about what you're gonna say. Um, so, I, like I said, I I think it's something I really admire about you, as long as it's like presenting in a healthy way for you. Oh, thanks.
1: Yeah, it gets tricky because you know the code switching isn't just with our own identities, whether it's trans or black. Then there's you know the Jedi identity, where the language we use when we speak to one another in the Jedi community is something that most people outside of that don't understand in any way Mm -hmm. and you know there's just okay so then there's the trans and there's jedi and then there's all these other levels of of language that we're kind of used to and it's such a part of our vocabulary for for how we talk about ourselves That, like okay now how do i say this in a way that someone without any experience whatsoever is going to understand
0: yeah
1: yeah it's tricky
0: yep absolutely and i think you do a great job of it oh thank you thank you your
1: your stuff your work is is so good and yeah i'm just constantly it's just like i don't know how she keeps putting all this this work out the way you do
0: well i quit my day job that helped (laughs) to be totally transparent (laughs) i quit my day job and that gave me a lot more time to dedicate to stuff like this um and so far, that's working out for me. But again, that's another that's another privilege that I have, that I had the freedom and comfort to be able to do that. Um, so that's I've tried to take it pretty seriously um, as someone with the time and background that I have to use the time wisely and invest it back into my community. Um, so fingers crossed that I'm able to keep that up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing that we also like to talk about on the podcast and part of what I think is incorporated in avoiding that like urgent need to respond is using rest as a form of resistance, because I think that urgency comes from that capitalist idea that we have to keep going, 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 and we have to get things done quickly because if we don't get them done now. Then someone else is going to do it. Someone else is going to get the opportunity. And so I think we can fight back about against that by slowing down and taking our time. Um, but I'm wondering how the phrase rest is resistance. How does that land with you? Or how does that show up in your life?
1: Uh, for me, it's, it's not, I guess, rest is in sleep. It's me time. So when I'm traveling on the road, I'll try to make it, you know, set my travel itinerary to where if like I did a couple ice fests in New Hampshire and then in the Adirondacks and in between I, I had a couple days carved out so I could go to downtown New York and just spend time in New York and then go dancing every night. And that's super important to me to be able to just get out and dance. And for those, you know, two to four hours I'm on the dance floor it's just me and the music and like nothing else and I can tune everything out and climbing has been that for me it isn't always that way for me anymore unfortunately Um, running has been that for me more so lately even though I have so much time I'm thinking about when I'm running I find myself just stopping and sitting next to the stream for a while and then I'll just you know, record myself sending, and to send messages to friends once I get service or um, that's when I write or I, I cry a lot outside too mm-hmm. and I'll just sit down in some beautiful place and, and just record myself talking and think about some of the things I want to express and use that time in that way and that time is just
2: for me. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, just carving out
1: those spaces where I yeah, it's just it's just my time.
0: Yeah. I I like hearing that. Um something that I was talking with sasha Sasha McGee. She's another Brown Girls climb leader who I, I'm you know, Sasha I'm yeah. sure. Um we
1: haven't met in person yet. she we've talked online, been in a couple chats.
0: Oh yeah, she's lovely. Um But so she's a a fellow climber. You're a climber. I'm a climber. Um, And we were talking about, like, this idea that climbing and a lot of other outdoor sports, like, it's seen as the ultimate goal if you're, like, suffering the most. Like, that's when you're doing it the best is if you're suffering. And we were talking about our experiences with black women like there's already so much suffering in our life that I don't want to incorporate that into my hobby. <laughs> I want my hobby to be enjoyable <laughs> and I will suffer on somebody else's time. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you're incorporating like slowing down and rest into your act like outdoor activities. Do you, do you see that trend too? Or is that just something that we made up? <laughs>
1: no, no, it's totally there. And it has been a part. And, and I've, I've kind of liked that type of climbing. Mm-hmm. um like I do ice climbing you know a lot of backcountry stuff I've I've done climbs where I've hiked 20 miles in a single day just to do a couple pitches for like a first descent or something and I kind of enjoy that um uh, but I guess my my view of of suffering is very different right now uh I'm still not always comfortable at crowded crags or at climbing gyms, so I typically avoid those and opt to go with just a handful of friends that I know and trust really well and go someplace that's a little more remote and isn't as popular, and that's kind of my way of avoiding that suffering because, to me, getting having people point and whisper and stare or joke
0: or say things about me while I'm climbing. That's, that's my suffering in climbing, I guess, right now, Mm -hmm. not necessarily feeling the discomfort of the physical activity as much, but just, yeah, it's coming more from people. So Mm -hmm. I'm taking a lot of measures to avoid that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that. That's, um, yeah, I think something that I hear from folks about like not feeling completely comfortable in a climbing gym um, for various reasons, but because it's just not welcoming to everyone who wants to go climbing or who is a climber. Um, and I think that's part of the need to expand the definition of who is, who is a climber, who can be a climber, what does climbing look like? Um, and something that I've been thinking a lot about personally is just this idea of like, like solitude being a way to rest even if you're not physically resting just like the idea that the more people you're around the more you have to kind of modify yourself, your behavior, control your reactions to things, manage your emotions um and so the fewer people that you're around like it feels like rest to me because there are fewer other personalities I'm having to interface with. And I don't know if that makes any sense or if that's yeah, what... definitely. Okay, good. Because, <laughs> yeah, it can be really emotionally exhausting to be around people, especially who don't know you well or who aren't welcoming to, to you or um, people from your community. And I think that that's an important way to prioritize rest as well. So I'm glad to hear that you're, you're doing that for yourself.
1: Definitely. And Sam... <laughs> made a good comment and the thing we need to expand the definition of what a climber looks like. Mm. That's totally true. Like in so many areas, because the more, the more we see people like us, the more comfortable we are going to be in the gym and the more comfortable we are going to be at the crag. We won't be the only one like us. And so we won't get those stairs the way a lot of us do right now or have more so in the past. Um, the more we can make people feel comfortable in this the more we're going to be comfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that goes for everyone out there i mean I think everyone at some point has felt uncomfortable or unwelcomed out there and i just hope people can
0: kind of think about how that made them feel and try to do something to help others feel feel more comfortable yeah yeah, I think those ideas of of comfort and and safety go are very very tied with the idea of rest because if we're not comfortable and we don't feel safe, then we're not going to be able to let our guard down enough to rest whether it's sleep or just, you know, like lay in a hammock and listen to the river run or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Um so I only have one more question for you, but if anybody else has questions, use the question button um, if you're listening on Instagram. Um, but my question is, what are some ways that we can collectively incorporate rest as a means of liberation? So, like, how can we lower barriers to rest or how can we, like, perpetuate these ideas of, of rest and the importance... the the importance of rest so that um, it becomes less of like a self-care and more of a community care practice. I think some
1: of it is starting to look less and less about the I in it and the we. You know, there's, we start looking at some of the things like we were talking about mental health and Mm -hmm. access to, to therapy. There are so many different barriers and it isn't always just financial and we have to look at all the different ways that someone doesn't have access to that and the more that we can help break down those barriers that's going to increase our access as well mm-hmm. and i think you know a lot of ways the black lives matter movement is a perfect example of this you know i'm i'm not black i'm trans but by supporting black trans women and the black lives matter movement it's pushing
2: for equity and equality and justice for everyone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't
1: personally think something might apply to me in some way. It does. Like it's all tied together. And we're all tied together as a community and society and supporting someone else to be able to get the help they need and change these systems allows us to better enjoy that rest to enjoy that support to enjoy the community that we all need Mm -hmm. and I think that's I don't know I want to see more people start thinking and working collectively together to try to make a change whether they think it affects
0: them or not because whether they know it or not it does affect them Mm -hmm. they just haven't
1: dug deep enough to see how it has
0: yeah I think I think that's a really good point that our Liberation of others contributes to the liberation of ourselves and vice versa. Um, Something I learned when I was in school is that I have a special ed degree and we were talking about how with the ADA, they had all these laws um, and one of them that's coming to mind right now is the, the, those little dips in a sidewalk where like a wheelchair user would be able to just easily get up on the sidewalk rather than having to go up, like going up a step. Um, and how a lot of people see those and they're like, oh, that's for somebody who uses a wheelchair. But the reality is that it serves so many people. Um, if you use a wheelchair, yes. If you use a walker or crutches or if you're elderly and need just a flatter plane to get up onto the sidewalk. Like there are so many people that benefit from this one thing. Um that was initially designed. stroller. Yeah. Or if you have a stroller, if you're a parent and you're pushing a kid in a stroller, absolutely. There are so many different people that that benefits that maybe it wasn't explicitly designed for. Or maybe that's not who was necessarily in mind when it was created, but these barriers being lowered benefit everyone. Yeah. So I think that that's a really um, important point that you brought up. Thank you. Um, we do have a couple of listener questions. So, I'll just pull those up quickly. Um, Scott J. Briscoe on Instagram wants to know, Nikki, what is an attainable dream expedition or project?
1: Uh, for me or for someone else?
0: <laughs> um, He said Nikki, so I'm assuming uh, for you.
1: <laughs> I don't know. For me, I hardware just put out a thing today Sam who's watching as a part of it uh, mm-hmm. as well as Ashley who's in here um, last year they supported me doing this photo camp where I was able to teach six people from a lot of underrepresented groups uh, climbing specific photography they're all great photographers already and try to help them you know get more more coverage within the outdoors and climbing and tell their community story in a lot better way. I want to do more of that. Like that's kind of my dream expedition would be maybe five or six years from now to get a lot of the people who have been through that program that hopefully once COVID's over can happen every year. And then we do some sort of expedition backcountry together where we put together, you know, what what was taught in the class and then their experience outside of that. And then, yeah, go, go remote somewhere and in the woods for a couple of weeks and do some, some first ascents or, or something, but like have this community doing things that you typically don't think of when you think of a trans person or a black woman or brown woman or whatever it might be. Like, mm-hmm. I think that would be my dream
0: dream trip, is to just see kind of a culmination of a lot of the work I'm trying to do now. Yeah. Into that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, shout out to Sam Ortiz, Ashley Peterson, and Yaneli Paciencia. All three of you are joining us live. You can check out their story and Nikki's camp uh, photo camp that she led on mountainhardware.com. Um, they're also big supporters of Brown Girls Climb, so we super appreciate Mountain Hardware over here. Um, Scott said he wants to know what my answer would be. Um, honestly, right now I'm not dreaming too big. I've tried talking with um, my best friend, Jale Berger, who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, about doing a climbing trip together just because, like, we haven't seen each other in so long. Um once it's safe to do so. Again, I've also talked with a couple other black and brown folks who are doing van life as well about doing a meetup then. So those aren't necessarily huge expeditions, but I try and make um, my outdoor experiences pretty heavily social experiences as well. So um, those are the two goals that I have for whenever it's safe to do again. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, and then we had one other question from Janelle. Janelle takes photos on Instagram. Do you have a dance playlist you can share with us?
1: I do have a dance playlist. Depends on what type of dance you're asking about though.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know if I knew like how into dancing you are because I am also very into dancing. I'll go with, like, a group of friends, and they'll take turns, like, dancing with me and, like, sitting down, because I just once I'm on the dance floor, I don't stop. Um, <laughs> so maybe we need to go together next time I'm in Salt Lake.
1: Definitely. Unfortunately, I, I haven't danced in Salt Lake. Other than Pride, there was a pop-up dance party. Like, there really aren't clubs where I feel comfortable like, going out like, just club dancing mm, that's um, fair i i do some
0: other dance here like going to dance studios and kind of learning and um, i'm gonna be a dance instructor for a studio soon i'm taking my certifications right now that is so cool what kind of dance
1: Pole dance
0: <gasps> no way that is amazing oh my god i want to take a class from you
1: it's super fun
0: that's so cool i've never tried but i mean it looks really fun um, Janelle said she wants some booty shakers, some booty shaking music.
1: I'll have to put together a playlist and share it with you.
0: Yeah, if you send me the link, I can include it in the podcast notes as well, so the people can nice. listen.
1: Yeah, I have, a, I have a whole playlist for like, for pole dancing, but um, typically I just, I don't know, try to find a club that has certain types of music and then. Mm. But often it's just, I'll go to wherever I can in that area. Um, so I don't really have playlists for going out to the club, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I've, got the, I've got the sexy playlist.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll take any any and all playlists that you have to share. You could just g- give us your Spotify link and we'll share that. That sounds amazing. Um, okay. That is right definitely... I... What were you saying?
1: Yeah. Oh, right now it's just a, like an iTunes playlist, so I'll have to put it on the Spotify
0: Hey, either way, music is a huge part of my rest practice as well. Um, that is one way that I can like tune out and change my mood is just by putting on the right playlist. So I completely, I'm here for it.
1: It's good. It might melt your speakers, so though. It's hot.
0: Uh... Oh. okay. <laughs> Fair warning. some comes at the caution label. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're too funny. All right. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Anything you want to share? Any projects you want to plug? Anything at all?
1: What have you learned the most since you've started doing this podcast about rest or your relationship?
0: Oh, goodness. That's a good question. Um, I think I think I've just learned like how to expand my idea of what rest looks like um, because I know what rest looks like for me, but like people tell me oh well i do this this like project is my rest like um katie was talking about beating she uses beating as a way to rest and where i would think about that as like maybe work she it's it's rest for her and that's not what rest looks like for me but I it's just helping me expand my idea of what rest could be for other people um and
1: earrings are beautiful too (laughs)
0: Oh my gosh, Nikki! She made me a pair. I see. Ah, oh, they're so amazing. If you don't follow um around the world in Katie days, she has a earring account called Wechola Made. She does beautiful work. You should check them out. And she is very kindly gifting me a pair that I will probably be wearing on next week's podcast. So definitely tune in for that. Um, yeah, she does amazing work. And yeah, like for me, that would I would consider that work. But for her, it's like meditative and um that's a form of rest for her. So I think that that's kind of expanded my perception of what rest could look like, because like I said, I did come into this kind of journey through the Nat ministry and they really prioritize like sleep and stillness and not working as their way of rest. Um, so yeah, it definitely helped me expand my ideas around that. That's a great question. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, everyone, I'm so grateful to Nikki Smith. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thanks it's for having me. It's so good to see you. You Here. too. I know. It's been a little bit since we've chatted, so it was great to just catch up with you. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm excited for you to be starting school, um, which is probably coming up soon. It's like the end of July already.
1: Yeah. Uh, August 25th, I think, is the first class. It's online, so I don't know that I have to like, be there on that date, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's coming up. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, thank you, everyone who tuned in. Thank you, Nikki, so much for your time. If you want to listen to the other episodes, they're on my Instagram, Laura.Edmondson um, on IGTV. Or you can also find them on Apple Podcasts and Spotify now, which is very exciting. I'm so excited to be able to have them streaming there as well. Um If you'd like to support the podcast, there's a link to my Venmo and PayPal in my Instagram bio and also in the show notes if you're listening off of Instagram. Thank you, everyone who tuned in. Thank you, Nikki. I'm so grateful. And I hope that you all have a beautiful week. And I'll see you next Thursday. Yeah, thanks. Thanks
1: for everyone listening. There's a lot of cool people. I can see.
0: I've
1: been watching this whole time. Thank you.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Cool. Have a good day. (laughs) You too. Bye. Bye.